ahead and uh, get back into our study here. Um, so we're talking, last week we were talking about um, really kind of the reliability of, of the Word of God and uh, how God has promised to preserve His Word. And so we can, we can know um, that His Word is preserved. Um, it's, the, it's an inspired Word of God. Um, and now we're kind of looking at it's the durability of the Bible. Um, how, and we looked at this in Second Timothy chapter three, uh, verse number sixteen, as or excuse me, verse number fifteen, as Paul is writing to uh, to Timothy, uh, he says that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And of course, we were getting into. Uh, obviously, it's important for young people to know the Word of God, but just the fact that Paul has such confidence that the Scriptures that Timothy was being taught was the Word of God. Um, even though, again, if you think about it, by this time, there has, um, other than the New Testament, and of course the New Testament is starting to be written, the, the apostles are starting to write, but until the New Testament begins to be written, at this time it's almost... Uh, almost 500 years since there's been any written word of God, right? Again, you have uh, all of the prophets, and you go through the minor prophets and thing, and then we have what we call the years of silence. There's 400 years of silence. There's 400 years between uh, the last prophet up to Christ. And then, of course, now you've got uh, Christ and his uh, 33 years here on the earth, and then now the disciples carrying on. So we're talking close to almost 500 years since there's been any written word of God. Now, I mean, think about what can happen in 500 years, right? I mean, just think, I mean, our country is how old? America is how old? I'll be very honest. I do not know the answer to this. <laughs> I think it's like 230, 40? 246. 246? I will take your word for that. 246, all right? Now, think about all that has changed in 246 years just in our country, right? Now, double that. Think about where our country is going to be, if you're even going to be a country, in 250 more years, right? So think about that. In 500 years, imagine what can change. Imagine all the changes that take, that take place, right? So think about all that, all that has taken place, obviously, even, and, and especially with Israel, you think about how they've been in captivity, right? They've been in captivity, and then there's remnants that are able to go back to Israel and things like this. Uh, and then, of course, the Roman Empire comes in. You've got all of that taking place with uh, Babylon, the Medio persian Empire. Then Alexander the Great comes and conquers the world, and then the Roman Empire and all of this. So just think of all the change that has taken place in 500 years, four or 500 years. And yet Paul is able to say with absolute certainty... That the Holy Scriptures that Timothy was taught was the Word of God. Now we, 2,000 years from the time that the New Testament has been written, I mean, again, think of everything that's changed in 2,000 years, right? Can we say with certainty that we have the Word of God in our hands? And I believe just as Paul was able to say 500 years after the Old Testament was completed, again, you have to remember the first books were written almost 2,000 years before that. So you've got 1,500 years 
before. And Paul is able to say with absolute certainty, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation. Why is Paul able to say that? Because God has promised to preserve his word, right? God promised to preserve his word. Now, we talked about the three, uh, the three things involved in the, the, the word of God and how we're able to know what the word of God is, right? Let's see how much you guys remember from last week, all right? What is the first thing involved in knowing that we have the word of God today? What's the first one? Starts with an R. Revelation, right? Revelation is God speaking to man, revealing these unknown truths, right? God revealing it to man because we have no idea, right? We have no idea who God is. We have no idea how we got here and how the world came. Only God can tell us that. And so God is revealing all of this to men, right? So then we have revelation, but then what comes next? What's the next one? Starts with an I. Come on. What is it? Okay, let's start over. What's number one? Come on, everybody. What's number one? Revelation. What is revelation? God revealing to man. What is revelation? Come on. Everybody, what is Revelation? All right, we're getting there. Okay, all right. So we have Revelation. Then we have number two, we have inspiration, right? God speaking through men, right? So God speaks through men, and then what do men do? Write it down, right? So God tells men what happens, what to write, and then they write it down. That's why we have in verse number 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, right? So we have revelation, God speaking to man. Inspiration is now man writing it down, right? So revelation, God speaks to man. Inspiration, God takes what man, or man takes what God has said and writes it down. Man, God's words, not man's words, right? Again, Paul tells us this. Peter tells us this. Um, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't their own words, right? So number one, we have what? Revelation. Number two, we have what? Inspiration. Revelation is God speaking to men. Did I say inspiration or revelation? Okay, revelation is God speaking to men. After this morning, I don't know what I say half the time. I'm going on about the announcements of January 20th and nobody's saying anything, right? I mean, good night. And then at the end, people try to tell me it's January 20th. What in the world? Um, If you miss the second service, that will go way over your head. So revelation is God speaking to man. Inspiration is man writing it down, right? We have it written down. Then what good is it to be written down if it's not going to be what? Preserved. So we have preservation. So we have revelation, inspiration, preservation. Preservation is God keeping it. God has promised to keep his word. That's why Paul could say, you have the Holy Scriptures. That's why we can say, we have the Holy Word of God. Right? We know that we have the word of God because God promised to preserve it. God promised to preserve it in every generation. Okay? And then the fourth thing we have, what we need now that we have the word of God, what's the fourth thing that we need? Starts with an I as well. Light bulb. Come on, right? Illumination, right? Everybody say it with me. Illumination. All right. So number one, we have what? Revelation. Number two, we have what? Very good. Number three, we have what? preservation number four we have light bulbs i mean illumination that's right yes illumination right so without those without those four things we really can't have the word of god 
And that's why those things are so important. If God doesn't tell us, we have no idea why we're here. We have no idea what purpose we have. We have no idea who God is. We can see that there's a God, but we don't know who that God is, right? So we need revelation. Inspiration, we need God's word to be written down so that men can read it, right? Again, it was great to tell Moses something, but if Moses doesn't write it down, it doesn't really do much good to us, right? But preservation as well. So Moses writes it down. Well, (laughs) the first thing he wrote down didn't last very long. Right? Uh, he kind of broke it. <laughs> Going to be kind of hard to have an original copy of that one. Right? It's broke. Right? So what did he have to do? He had to go back and get it, get it again. Right? He had to get another one. And then God preserved that one. Um, so we have preservation. We know that we have the word of God. And then illumination. As we read it, God speaks to our hearts and helps us to understand it. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through us as we read it, illuminates, helps us understand it. You're not going to understand everything the first time you read it. It's just not going to happen. Uh, that's why you, you, it takes time. It takes study. That's why he says in, in, back in chapter 2, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth uh, not to be ashamed, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Um, and so we have to take time to study it. It takes time. Uh, and the more we study, the more the Holy Spirit's in, uh, able to illuminate and help us to understand. Okay? So we're talking about this, this idea of preservation. Last week, we were looking at the, the manuscripts. Again, not going to go all through these again, uh, but just so many different manuscripts. Um, let's see, there was one I wanted to bring back up if I can. I think it's this one. Yeah. So this one, Papyrus 66, um, this is just the first page of it. There's many pages of it. But what, one thing that's really interesting of this, um, this, was, uh, this document dates around 200 AD, right? So this document is like 1,800 years old. Um, but this first page here is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and the first part of verse number 14. I know you could read that. Yes, right? In the beginning was the word, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. So 1,800 years ago, obviously this is not in English, but the word of God was in effect. The word of God was, was there. And, uh, and these, these documents, you have so many different documents that we talked about last week. Um, and here, here's the thing I, I want you to think of, um, especially if you were here last week. Given there are so many manuscripts, Right, I mean, there are there are thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Right, some from uh, the Old Testament, some from the New Testament. I mean, there's just thousands of them. Okay, if there is so much evidence for the Bible through these manuscripts, and again, these are these are dating 200 A.D. manuscripts dating older than even that, dealing with the Old Testament and things. So if if you have these this evidence of manuscripts, okay? Why do you think people are so willing then to question the authenticity and the reliability of the Word of God? I mean, think about it. There are, there are things that man will say is absolute fact and they have maybe one or two pieces of evidence for it. And based upon those one or two pieces of evidence, buddy, that's fact, right? 
But why is it that with the Bible, there are thousands and thousands of manuscripts and thousands of of things that prove the validity and the reliability of the Word of God, and yet men still today want to doubt the authenticity of it? Why is that? Scott? Don't want to hear the truth? Anybody else? Yeah. Don't want to do the truth. Do the truth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Miss Amy? Maybe it's yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt that there's, there's many different versions. But, I mean, again, if you think about all the different the manuscripts and all the evidence is there. I mean, it, it's indisputable. When you stack up all of the evidence that proves the, the authenticity of the Bible and you stack up the evidence for all these other things that they say are fact, the Bible is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. But yet we, they still want to doubt the reliability of the Word of God. Why? I mean, these are good reasons. Oh, that's interesting. Religion is becoming bigger than the Bible. It's more about religion than it is about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Bob? Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. Because if they read it, they find that they're condemned as a sinner, right? You're getting really close, I think, on that one. Anybody else? Steve? Right, absolutely. Why? Through, through denying the authenticity of the Word of God, they, they deny the... Uh, that there's a creator, why would, I mean, if the evidence is so overwhelming, right? I mean, if you, if you took all of the evidence for the validity and reliability of the word of God and compared it to anything else, this has way more. But yet they still want to deny it. Brother Rob? Ah. Man, what? Well, they think they won't be. That's true. Man has a desire that not to be accountable. We don't want responsibility. We don't want accountability. We don't want to say that there is someone that we are going to have to give an account to. Man wants to be able to do whatever they want without consequence. And if we can remove the one thing that truly shows that there is a consequence for what we do. The one thing that overwhelmingly proves that there is a God, that the word of God, as we find, there are consequences for what we do. There, we are going to stand before God. There's not just live what you want and then done, boom, you're done and that's all there is to it. And so because man wants to live without consequence, live without accountability, we must deny the word of God. We must be able to say that the Bible really isn't true. There isn't a God. And so again, 
even though they say it doesn't change the fact that there really is, but it makes them feel like they can do what they want. And it's just like what happened in the book of Judges. The Bible says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They do not want the responsibility of the choices and the accountability of the choices they're, they're going to make. I mean, just look at our country, right? That's, that's what's happening in our country, okay? Um, I don't know how many times, I'm just absolutely shocked where I'll see something um, on, a, on a news page or something where um, people come into a store that has security guards and they'll just start going to the shelves and dumping things into bags and just walking out right in front of the security guards on camera. They know the cameras are there. They know the security guards are right there. They don't care. Why? Because there's no accountability. They can get away with it because they know, hey, oh, you know, well, it's just, they're just a product of our society. No, you just made them a product of society. You just, you just enabled them to do that. We have laws, but let's not enforce the laws. We have laws, but let's not, let's not talk about the laws, Right? And so we want to live in a society where we can just do whatever we want without any consequence. And that's why I believe there's so much emphasis in trying to destroy the Word of God. Because the Word of God really is the one thing that shows that man is accountable to God. It's not religion. Religion doesn't show that. The Word of God does. The Word of God shows that. And that's why there's so much um, what's what I'm looking for? There's so much uh, push to destroy it. And not just today. It's always been that way, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, how the Bible is indestructible. Um, I mean, tyrants, dictators, rulers, they've all tried to destroy the Bible throughout the, the entirety of its existence. I mean, they've, they've tried to destroy it. Um, in 303, uh, the Roman Emperor Diocletian um, issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping and to destroy the scriptures, right? Um, 25 years later, his successor Constantine ordered 50 copies of the Bible made and distributed throughout the empire. So again, think about it. You have people all the time, one's trying to destroy it, and then God will bring someone in to bring it back. The devil's trying to destroy it, but God, remember, who is going to preserve his word? God, not man. Man's not going to preserve his word. Again, think about it. Think about all the changes that have taken place in 250 years in our country. There's no way that man is going to preserve his word. And let alone talking about thousands of years, right? Um, anybody ever heard of the name, uh, man by the name of William Tyndale? Um, William Tyndale translated uh, the Bible into English. Um, fascinating really fascinating story uh, about this man and his life um, Tyndale was actually employed in a the home of a uh, of a Catholic of, of a uh, I believe it was an archbishop um, and um, Tyndale wanted um, the king to be able to translate the Bible into the English language so that the common people could, could read it. When Tyndale was 28 years of age, this was in 1522, um, he was a tutor uh, in the home of John Walsh in England. 
and uh, he spent most of his time studying uh, a Greek New Testament that had been written by the name of Erasmus. Erasmus is Greek New Testament, um, which had just really only been printed about six years before. Um, and Tyndale saw um, things taking place. Um, John, uh, John Fox tells us that one day the exasperated Catholic scholar at dinner was with Tyndale and he said, we are better without God's law than the Pope's. Think about that. He said, we are better without God's law than we are without the Pope's law. In other words, the Pope is greater than the Bible. Well, anybody that says that, um, again, they're putting man above God, right? So this is what Tyndale said. In response, Tyndale spoke these words, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scriptures than thou doest talking to this archbishop, this Catholic archbishop. He said, my desire is that people will be able to read the Bible in their own language. Again, right at this point, there's only this Greek New Testament. So God began to use uh, William Tyndale to translate uh, the Bible into English. Four years later, Tyndale finished the English translation of the Greek New Testament. Um, But because of what he was doing, he could not do it in England. He had to leave England, his country, And he had to do this job in Germany um, because the king had said, hey, you can't do this, right? The government said, you can't do this. You're not allowed to do it. And uh, so they would smuggle the Bibles back into England in bales of cloth. They would take Bibles and wrap them up and uh, they'd have these big bales of cloth and put them in there and smuggle them in. Of course, anyone uh, found with one would be punished because you were not allowed to have the word of God. You weren't allowed to have a copy of it. Um, but by 1526, um, the Bishop Tunstall at the time had banned the Bible in London. Can you think about that? Banning the Bible? He had banned the Bible. You could not have a Bible. And so what happened was, um, Tyndale had printed about 3,000 copies and, uh, the books were getting to the people. Uh, so what, what happened was the, um, they decided they would buy the England, decided they would buy all the Bibles, and then they would burn them. So what they went, they went through and they offered people money. If you'll give us your Bible, we'll give you money, right? And so they bought all of these Bibles that Tyndale had printed, and they had a big bonfire, burned them all. Say, man, how tragic. That's horrible. Well, yes, it's horrible that they would do that. But Tyndale, instead of being defeated about it, he said, well, hey, you know what? What we'll do is we'll just take the money that they've given us and go print more. And so he took the very money that they had used to buy these Bibles and burn them and went and printed more Bibles. The king even actually asked Tyndale to come back to England and uh, said, look, we'd like to have you come back. And this this is what... um, This is what Tyndale said. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, He commissioned a man by the name of uh, Stephen Vaughn to go find William Tyndale and to tell him that that Henry VIII wanted him to return uh, and come out of hiding and come back to England. Um, It says that Tyndale asked this question. Will the king of England give his official endorsement 
for a vernacular Bible for all his English subjects. If not, I will not come. The King of England would not give that endorsement to have a Bible printed, and so Tyndale would not return back to his home country. He remained in exile basically his entire life, just trying to print Bibles in the English language and getting them back in to England. Again, we think of England, we think, man, England was the, the, the country that began to send out missionaries, right? The da- David Livingston and uh, all these other missionaries sent out from England and Scotland and Wales and C.T. Studd and all these places. But yet there was a time that even the word of God was banned and burned. And if you had a copy of it, you, were, you could be imprisoned, you could be fined just simply for having a copy of the word of God. Um, but God used William Tyndale to translate uh, Erasmus's New Testament into, uh, into English. And then, of course, um, even using that translation um, further on in the English language to be able to translate other Bibles as well. Um, and in, in fact, his um, Tyndale's New Testament was one of the main sources used uh, in, in 1603. 1603 to 1611, when they translated the King James Bible. Uh, It was William Tyndale's. And yet, 60 years previous, um, they were burning his Bibles. Um, And again, you have to remember, back then, they weren't, (laughs) you couldn't just go to the local bookstore and pick them up. They weren't printing them, you know, just off of presses really, really fast. These were long, arduous processes. But God kept it in. Uh, God protected it, even though there have been men that have tried to destroy it. Um, and so even the, um, how, how, how God has just protected it and preserved it so that uh, we can have the word of God today. Um, but again, go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 3, excuse me. Because I want us to look at one other thing here real quick, and we're going to try to see if we can try to finish this up tonight. Lord willing. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. So notice how important the word of God is, how he says, right? There's there's four things here that he gives that show the the importance of the word of God. He says, For doctrine. Uh, Doctrine shows us what is right. It shows us what is true, what we, we are to believe, right? That's where we get our doctrine from, our teaching. Uh, the doctrine does not come from church, right? Doctrine doesn't come from a man. Doctrine comes from the Word of God. And that's why what we believe must be based upon the Word of God. We must be able to say, look, this is what the Bible says. Now, what's, what's unfortunate is today in, in so many churches, doctrines are being made that have nothing to do with the Word of God. Nothing at all. Right, And God says his word is where we find doctrine, not just man's ideas, not just man's opinions, but in his word. He said it's profitable. It means it's good, right? It's good for doctrine. And we must get our doctrine from it. What we believe must come from the word of God. Reproof shows us where we are wrong. And I know we never like to admit that we're wrong, but God says there's many times we're wrong. And when we get into the word of God, it reproves us. Whether it's the reading of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, it reproves us. It helps show us where we're wrong. Hey, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. Okay? And then correction. Correction that shows us how to get right. 
right? Just like when you're uh, working with your children, uh, you, hey, that's, that's not right. Don't do that. And then we correct them. We show them what to do, how to, how to do right, okay? Um, and that's what God's word does. He tells us what is true, what is right, and what we are to believe, uh, shows us where we are wrong, but also shows us how to get right. And then the instruction in righteousness shows us how to stay right, how to, to be right with God, to be able to live day after day after day in righteousness, in godliness, right? Uh, now, yes, there's never going to be a person that lives on this earth until the Lord sets up his kingdom or whatever that is sinless, right? Because we all still have this fleshly nature. We have a sinful nature. We're all going to battle with that. We all battle with the flesh and the spirit, right? But as we are using his word and getting in his word and seeing where we are wrong and correcting that, allowing God to correct that in our life, guess what should be happening? We should be sinning less, right? We should be sinning less than we have before. Yes, we are still sinners, and yes, we're still going to make mistakes. But as we are getting in his word, his word, the doctrine that we find here, shows us what is right, shows us where we're wrong, how to get right, and then how to stay right, right? And he says it's profitable. His word is profitable for this. That's why it's so vital that we are in his word, on a daily basis, because it, it truly does. It has power. Um, uh, the Bible has, it, well, First Peter one twenty three says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. God says his word is forever. I like what A.W. Tozer said. An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. <laughs> true right thomas brooks said this it is the very drift and design of the whole scripture to bring souls first to an acquaintance with christ and then to an acceptance of christ and then to build them in an assurance of their actual interest in christ we come to know christ we accept him as our savior but then we are being built in christ He talks about being conformed to the image of his son. That's Jesus Christ. How how are we conformed to the image of his son? Through the word of God, through his word. As we get into his word and as he speaks to our hearts. And again, this is why uh, the study of his word is so important for our lives. The word of God is, is powerful. It's able to change people's lives. But it's also where we're able to find the principles by which we need to live. How are we supposed to live our life? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. In, in our country today, it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder to uh, not, not know how to live because God's given us his word and how we're supposed to live, um, but how to apply these principles to our life. Um, you know, when you have, uh, churches that are now trying to accept, um, you know, the LGBTQ movement, when you have religions that are trying to just accept this whole wokeism and things and, um, you know, as Christians, that makes it, 
it makes it more difficult for us because it's harder to stand for right when everybody else is doing wrong. But it makes it that much more important and vital that we do stand for right and stand for truth because we can't just go along with it. If we're going to get our doctrine from the Word of God and the principles by which we are to live as God shows them to us, then we have a set course. This is what we are to do. Now, I will say this. We need to make sure that we do it the right way. The Bible says we are to speak the truth, but we are to speak it in love. Look, I, I believe the Bible is very clear that this, the whole homosexual gay movement and all this other kind of stuff where people don't even know what they are today, it's against God. It's totally against God. But if somebody came into the church, or if, if I was to meet somebody that I know is, is part of that group, you know what? I'm not going to stand in their face and say, you're a wicked sinner and all that. No. That's not, that's not showing them the love of Christ. Now, am I going to agree with what they're doing? Absolutely not. Are we going to condone it? No way. But are we going to love them and pray that God would change their life? Absolutely. Because God's the only one that can. They're looking for it. That's, that's why they're, they're in the mess. Okay? And again, please don't, don't misunderstand. Don't, don't by any means think that somehow that I think I am better than them. I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner like anybody else is. And they need to know the grace of God as well. But they need to see that through people that truly love the Lord and love one another. To be able to show the love of Christ to them. Corey, do you have something? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and and the, the problem is they're, they're trying to make religion acceptable. Right. How can I say this? Religion has always been accepted. Religion has always been cool. It has. I mean, look in Scripture. Prophets of Baal, the Jezebel's prophets, um, I mean, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. I mean, you always have religion, right? There's always been religion. And, And again, that's why Satan will use religion. He's not against religion. He's against God and his word and truth, right? And so what's happening, I think, is very much like what, we're, what you find in the Old Testament. Let's conform religion to look and be accepting of everybody, right? Let's make it really cool. Um, you know, let's make it more appealing to the world so that the world will come. Now, of course, the... the um, 
theory, of course, behind it, of course, what people are going to say is, well, if we can make it more accepting to the world, then they'll come and they'll hear the gospel, right? (laughs) But not that I'm encouraging you to do this, but you listen to some of these churches and guess what you won't find? You won't find the gospel, right? The gospel is not there. I mean, they, they barely even mention the Bible. There's no gospel message, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's who knows, right? But it is, it's, it's not, you know, if, again, if, if our whole purpose is just trying to, to bring in people to say, we have a large church, then we're going to do whatever we can to bring them in and to bring them in and to get them to stay in. I can't preach against sin because if I do that, guess what's going to happen? They're going to walk right back out the door, right? If that's my purpose, just to be able to have a large church and be able to have 15, 20,000 people or whatever, right? So that's what I'm saying. They have, they're using religion to be cool. And as long as you're religious, then that means you're okay. But religion sends you to hell. Sends you to hell. That's exactly right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're going to preach the whole counsel of God, it's going to cause offense. That's why he says what, it, what I mean, Jesus says the, the father's going to be against the, his own son. Right. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword division. Right. Because when you preach the truth of the word of God, it divides. It's going to divide. It divides homes. It divides husbands and wives. It divides children and parents. It divides grandparents and, and grandchildren. It brings division. Why? Because man wants to do it their way, and God says that's not right. So when one person says, hey, you know what? I believe what God says is true, and I'm going to follow what God says, but then this other person says, no, I'm going to do it my way, you're going to have division. You're going to have conflict. And so, yeah, it, it goes against their, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word benefit, but it goes against what they're trying to accomplish to preach the gospel, to preach the word. Now, they'll tell you, oh, we love Jesus and, and we want to, to see people's lives changed. Then where's the gospel? Where's the gospel message? Where's the preaching of doctrine? Where's the preaching of sin? It's not there. Right. 
You have to start from the end. You have to start from Z and go backwards. But that foundation—that's what they're trying to teach. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's why, if you'll notice, most attacks against the Word of God begin in where? In the Book of Genesis. Why? Because Genesis is the foundation. You destroy the book of Genesis, you destroy everything else. You destroy the foundation. By the way, why are they attacking the home? Because the home is the foundation. The home is the foundation of the church. The home is the foundation of the nation. You destroy the home, you destroy the foundation, you destroy everything else. Yeah, Tell, tell China that. Exactly. You know, what, you know what's going on in China right now? So for, for many, many years, China said you're only allowed to have one child, right? And that was it. You can only have one child. Well, they began to realize our population isn't growing. So I believe it was either last year or the year before, they came out and said you can actually have more children now. You know what the population said? No. No. We don't want them now. Yeah. Right. But they had been, they've been so indoctrinated that all you can have is one, all you can have is one, all you can have is one, all you can have is one. Now when they've said, okay, now you can have more, we don't want one. We don't want more than one. We don't even almost want one. That's, it. That's exactly what happened in China. Probably not as bad as China, but yeah. This is what Deal Moody said. He said, the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. That's why we have the word of God. It's to change our life, right? Um, this is really neat. Tell me if you know who said this. Within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today, if only we would read and believe. Anybody know he said that? He was a president of the United States. His name is Ronald Reagan. Think about that. Within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today if only we would read and believe. What's really sad, obviously, yes, we understand that the world is pushing aside the word of God, denying it. What's really sad is how many Christians no longer, well, I don't know if I should say the word no longer, but now say they don't, they're not sure if the Bible is the word of God or not. I'm not sure if the Bible really is God's word or not. Listen, folks, we have got to understand that this book that we hold in our hands is God's word. And this is our authority. That's our authority. And we've got to be in it. We've got to trust it. We've got to teach it to our children. We've got to teach them to trust it. Because if we don't teach them to trust it, who's going to? The government of the world sure isn't. Right? Well, the Sunday school teacher is. That's not the Sunday school teacher's job. Now, they'll, they'll do it, but that's, that's our job. To teach them that this book is the word of God. And that we can trust it. And we need to trust it. And we need to get what we believe from it. Not put our beliefs into it, 
we believe what it says and we get our beliefs from it, the doctrine that we need to hold to, right? Let's go ahead and pray. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anywhere in the Bible it says it's only good for so long. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's very true. Culture's changed. It's acceptable now. Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, thank you that we know that we can we have your word and that it's reliable, it's accurate. Lord, we can trust it. We can go to it. We can. Uh, Lord, know what to believe because of it. And Father, I pray you'd help us to have a greater uh, trust in it, Lord, a greater appreciation for your word, and that we would teach it to others that they might know it as well. Lord, just bless our week. We thank you for your love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.